Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. How to detect and study atmospheres of other planets. Now researchers are always looking for water on other planets, but a good place to look is understanding if there's water in the atmosphere. So how do you study the atmosphere of a faraway planet like Mars, or even further away exoplanets? It requires a lot of tricky science and new methods. You'll hear biologists, astrobiologists, astronomers and other scientists always talking about the search for life and water as water being at least what we suspect needing to be essential for life to form. At least without any evidence to the contrary, maybe some new type of life forms that we haven't seen before, scientists believe that finding water is probably our best bet for finding life. In any event, it's our best bet for finding life that will be easy for us to detect and recognise because it will be most similar to what we have here on Earth. And this is why researchers continually hunt for sources of water on other planets mostly because it's an easy shorthand way to look for potential signs of life. And we do know that planets have water in various forms, inside our solar system, and perhaps beyond it. Now, one planet that always gets attention for potential signs of life and is scoured by space missions continually is, of course, Mars, the red planet. Now, researchers from Caltech and JPL have been investigating one Martian mystery that gets brought up repeatedly. And that is that we've known for a while now that Mars was home once before to enough water to have covered the whole planet with an ocean. I'm not necessarily saying that the entire planet was an ocean, but there certainly would have been equivalent to half the Earth's Atlantic Ocean. Enough water to cover Mars's entire surface with between 100 to 1500 meters deep of water. Now, we know this is the case through the geological record. We can see the marks of water motion and erosion scattered across the surface of Mars. We can see the trails left behind by liquid water on its surface. So the question is, where is all that water now? And why did it disappear? So, four billion years ago, Mars had water, And three billion years ago, it all disappeared. Where it went to and how it disappeared is a point of conjecture. But one predominant theory currently that scientists use to explain the disappearance of the water on Mars is that it escaped into space. The combination of low gravity, along with lacking a rotating iron core generating a strong magnetic field, meant that, well, stellar wind and other forces whisked away all that water in the Martian atmosphere and the low gravity couldn't keep it there. By basically having no lid trapping in that water cycle, eventually the water just evaporated out of the atmosphere and into space. Incredibly disappointing, but at least a logical conclusion based on the evidence we have. The problem is... Many researchers find this lacking, including Caltech PhD candidate Eva Scheller, who has, as lead author, published a paper in the journal Science. Now, she collaborated with various researchers, including Bethany Elham, Professor of Planetary Sciences and Associate Director at 
Keck Institute for Space Studies, Yuk Young, Professor of Planetary Science and JPL Senior Research Scientist, and other Caltech graduate students like Danik Adams, Renyun Hu. Now, these researchers were diving into a pretty fundamental question. How did all of that water just disappear from the Martian atmosphere? Because when they studied the quantity of water on Mars over time, in all its forms, vapour, liquid and ice, and looked at the chemical composition of the planet's current atmosphere and crust, well, they stumbled into some unusual things. And most of this is around the ratios of deuterium to hydrogen. Now, to get this data on the Martian soil and crust, they had to use Mars rover data, meteorite samples, orbiter data, a number of different researchers. Hence, the collaboration with people like JPL researchers. Now, one key thing you have to remember is that not all water is the same. Of course, you know hydrogen and oxygen, H2O, make up water. But not all hydrogen is exactly the same. We know that different elements can have different what we call isotopes, different numbers and ratios of protons and neutrons in the nucleus. Now, why this is important is because there's more than one form of hydrogen. And hydrogen being an important part of water means you have to consider what other isotope variations can occur. The vast majority of hydrogen that you'll ever encounter is what we call protein, this lighter weight hydrogen, which just has one proton in its nucleus. But there exists another stable isotope called deuterium. It's not as common, about 0.02%. And this is called heavy hydrogen because it has a proton and a neutron in the nucleus. Now it's important because these two exist in some kind of composition level that's balanced. You can look at it and see how it changes over time. Not that they're in exactly the same proportion, but you can track this, which one is more common than the other. This ratio, so-called, between the different isotopes in hydrogen. How much deuterium makes up your overall hydrogen mix. And when the scientists were looking at this ratio of deuterium to the rest of the hydrogen, they found something pretty stunning. Now, you would expect that the lighter, the protein, well, hydrogen, would be able to easily float off and escape the atmosphere. If you imagine this water evaporating, that, that lighter hydrogen would easily make that journey out of the atmosphere of Mars into space. And it would mean that you'd have more of the heavy stuff, the deuterium, left behind. Any hydrogen you had left would see an increase in the deuterium amount because, well, deuterium's too heavy to really float away. But when you actually look at the observational data from the various missions on Mars, you don't see this outsized ratio, this overwhelming presence of deuterium in the upper atmosphere that you would expect if everything had, that was lighter had drifted away. So what happened? In this study and paper, they were looking for perhaps then two mechanisms that could observe the current ratio of deuterium to hydrogen in the Martian atmosphere, as well as how the water has actually disappeared from Mars. Now, one thing to remember is that when water interacts with rock, things happen. You can get clays forming and other hydrous minerals that contain water as part of their mineral structure. We see this happening on Earth all the time, and it can happen just as equally on Mars. Now, because Earth is technologically active, we have a core, we have crust, we have plates, we have the crust shelf of our planet continually moving over the top of each other, 
old crust gets melted down into the mantle and new crust formed at the placed boundaries. This serves several purposes. An important one is actually recycling water and molecules back into the atmosphere through volcanism. Think about it another way. Rocks with water trapped inside of them are crushed into magma. That magma travels underneath the crust and then gets erupted out in volcanoes. You can see those big steam clouds and big pyroclastic flows that come as part of an eruption. A lot of water vapor is released through volcanism. This helps create part of a larger water cycle. Not the water cycle that you think of with evaporation, rain and river runoff. But once water is trapped inside rocks, it has a chance here on Earth to get released again. The problem is, Mars is mostly tectonically inactive. There are volcanoes on Mars, and it does have some tectonic movement, but it doesn't have these overwhelming plates that refresh and recharge the surface. That means if you had a rock that trapped some water inside of it, it means it would be pretty much permanently trapped there. And this means that water could have got sequestered into Martian rock itself pretty early on in the lifetime of the planet Mars. Now, atmospheric loss was certainly a factor because we know that to be the case. We can predict that make models on this and say clearly that Mars would have lost water to the atmosphere. And that's certainly true, but also would have lost water to the rocks. Now, the exact amount and how that water would have been gone isn't completely understood, but this is a good point to consider. Now, it's not just water that can get sequestered into rocks and minerals. The same principle would apply to different types of gases in the atmosphere that might have got absorbed into rocks and minerals. And that's what researchers Elman, Hu and Young are also looking at in the future, whether or not nitrogen and other sulfur-bearing minerals could have faced the same fate because we don't see them as much in their atmosphere and maybe Mars had them, but then lost them to get trapped inside the Martian crust. Now, this is a pretty great example of taking data that we have from rovers and other missions on Mars and using it to build models of the Martian surface, determine where this water has disappeared to, and thus gain a deeper insight to what may be lurking inside the rocks on Mars on the surface and just below. So the mystery of where the Martian water has gone is being opened up and further explored by some great research, California Institute of Technology and JPL, published in the journal Science, lead author, Eva Scheller. Now that's Mars, but what about other planets and other atmospheres? Now, our atmosphere contains lots of water. It's water-rich. Mars's atmosphere was also water-rich before it evaporated. So how can researchers find water-rich atmospheres on other exoplanets, planets outside our solar system? And that's what researchers from University of Chicago and Stanford University have collaborated and published in the journal Astrophysical Journal Letters. Now, the two authors of this paper were Assistant Professor Edwin Kite from University of Chicago and Assistant Professor Laura Schaefer from Stanford University. Now, these two researchers collaborated on coming up with new techniques to try and detect and understand atmospheres on other planets. 
Now, when it comes to studying other planets, we rely on space telescopes in various forms. And there's about to be a new one launched, the James Webb Space Telescope, which is the powerful successor telescope to the venerable Hubble Space Telescope. Now, the James Webb is scheduled to launch later this year. And when it is in service and in operation, it will be able to provide detailed compositional breakdowns of an exoplanet's atmosphere. That will be very useful because it could be used to hunt for planets with water in their atmosphere. And that's obviously one way to hunt for it. Another is to look for a variety of indirect signs to try and piece together how water-rich atmosphere might occur. Now, as missions like Kepler and others are used to document and come up with information about all these exoplanets we're finding, it also highlights to us how little we know. And that's where researchers like Kite and Schaefer are trying to determine models that can help us explain how exoplanets form, how they might be composed, and what makes up the both on the ground and atmosphere of these planets. Now, what they know from the Kepler mission is that planets that are rocky, that are about the size of Neptune, are really abundant, which is obviously for us very surprising since they're none in our solar system, as Kite says. We don't know for sure what they're made of, but there's a strong evidence they are magma balls cloaked in a hydrogen atmosphere. Now that's interesting for us. We live in a nitrogen-oxygen mixed atmosphere that we breathe, but a hydrogen atmosphere is a little bit different. Now there's a healthy number of smaller rocky planets that are similar, but they don't have these hydrogen cloaks. So what happened and why don't they get hydrogen like the others? Scientists have surmised that maybe they started out with hydrogen, but lost their atmospheres, like we talked about with Mars, where the star or the lack of a magnetic field nearby could cause it to whisk away all of that atmosphere. But there's a lot of detail still missing in all of these models. Now, one of the consequences of having a planet with a rocky surface is that it might be tectonically active, volcanically active. Now, this is an interesting thing. What could happen if a planet is covered in oceans of melted rock? Now, this seems scary and hellish, but it would probably be quite common, especially in early stages of planetary development. And liquid magma is very runny. The thing is, it also turns over quite vigorously, like the surface of an ocean with waves on the top. The surface of a magma ocean has waves too and that cycle around it means you have a lot of surface area exposed to an atmosphere if you have a magma ocean like this it's exposed to whatever is in that atmosphere above it and if it's a hydrogen rich atmosphere well that magma like we talked about it with the examples from mars will start interacting with what's in the atmosphere some of it will get bonded or sequestered into the magma and then churned in. Now, it also might react with some of that hydrogen. And when it reacts, it will form something like water. Some of that water might escape into the atmosphere, but most of it, of course, just gets slurped and sloshed around in this big rolling sea of magma. Problem is, if some of this hydrogen is sequestered, some of this hydrogen reacts to form water, then what's left over in that large hydrogen-rich atmosphere will probably eventually get whisked away if there's nothing to sort of keep it trapped there. 
This might explain the planets that we see without this hydrogen-rich atmosphere. In its place, though, you've got a void, and that void could get pulled into it, this water. This water gets pulled out into the atmosphere instead and starts to form water vapour. And eventually, what remains, instead of a hydrogen-dominated atmosphere, this hydrogen with oxygen, or water-based vapour, atmosphere. And the other interesting part is this rolling magma ocean stage where water is getting puffed into the atmosphere and the magma is sucking out the hydrogen. Well, this could exist for a long period of time, some planets even for billions of years. Now, with the detail of the James Webb Space Telescope, this model, this theory developed by Kaida Schaefer, will be able to be tested and worked on further. Now, there's of course other ways you could test this as well. You could look for indirect signs of atmosphere. A good example of an indirect sign of an atmosphere would be by studying the planets that are tidally locked. Now, a tidally locked planet or moon is in a constant fixed orientation or position toward its orbit. The Earth spins as it orbits the Sun, which is what gives us the day and the night. But not all planets do this. Some planets are tidally locked to a star. And as they orbit their star, well, they have one side that is facing the hot, hot, hot star, and the other, the cold emptiness of space. Now, you see extreme temperature gradients in such tidally locked planets or moons. But if there's an atmosphere present, the atmosphere acts as an insulative but also mellowing effect because then the heat is not just on the surface, it's dissipated and shared. One side would still be hot, but there will be a transfer of heat from one side to the other in the form of what we would imagine be some pretty strong winds. Because you would get a thermal gradient between the hot and the cold side, and you would get movement of air or atmosphere across it. So if you found a planet that was tidally locked, and there wasn't a huge gradient temperature difference between the hot and cold. Something, some fluid, an atmosphere, has to be transferring this heat across the surface or above the surface. So by looking at the temperature profile difference between tidally locked planets on the hot and cold side, we could get some pretty interesting data on potentially the existence of an atmosphere. This is, I guess, an indirect method. It doesn't tell us what's in that atmosphere, if it's water vapour, but it would certainly tell us that one does exist in some form. Now, this is exciting because looking for water on hot rocky planets, or even what we would think is tidally locked planets, planets that might, we would otherwise said, be inhospitable to life, will be a fascinating area, and we will soon have tools to test these theories and look for signs of atmospheres on other planets. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From finding trapped water inside rocks in the Martian surface to understanding how to hunt for water on exoplanets far away. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.